Good morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at the last eight verses this morning. Brandon, you were right. There were definitely some many sermons this morning, and uh, all of them good. I don't know about you, but I just being here this morning and seeing what God was doing in the lives of young men who were seminary grads, uh, listening to a, a devotional from Brandon and uh, others up here, it's, it's just been a blessing. And I hope you've been blessed as well. David Bilkus, it's good to see you back, brother. Last time I visited with him, he was in the hospital bed, so it's good to see him back with us. Any, any word for us this morning? Ah, good, good. We'll keep praying for you, brother. This passage this morning ends the first half of Ephesians, which is pretty doctrinal. The second half is practical. And Lord willing, we'll get back into that um, come March and April, May, June. No, I don't know how, how, lo how long it will go. There's a lot there, and um, we'll see how the Lord leads. I want to ask you a question as we begin this chapter portion of the chapter this morning from verse 14 down to 21. Someone asked me last week if I had sermon titles, and I think it was Cam. And yes, I do, but I never mention them, so I'm going to mention this. A prayer for the church to know God's power and love. A prayer for the church from Paul for the church at Ephesus to know God's power and God's love. But I want to begin with this, with a couple of questions, really, for us. How much do you personally, and I'm speaking to me as well as you, all of us, how much do you personally value prayer? How high is that on your list of important things to do in this life? How faithful are you in praying regularly, daily? sometimes with large amounts? How faithful are you in your prayer life? How expectant are you for God to work through your prayers? Do you pray expectantly? Do you pray knowing that He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to His riches in glory? By the way, have you ever analyzed the content of your prayer life? Have you ever stopped to write down, make a list, and just see regularly what you are praying for? Have you ever done that? That will tell you a lot about what you care about. What's important in your life will be reflected in what you go to God for. It will. Do that sometime if you haven't done that. Think about what is primarily on your prayer list and how you value prayer. One of the things that we see with Paul, he's, he's writing a letter to a church which we have put into six chapters. And in the first three chapters, he stops twice in his letter, in his content, teaching them the Word of God, he stops twice to pray for them. 
And this time he starts out by saying, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I don't think he was just speaking hypothetically. I think all of a sudden in the midst of writing this letter, he's kneeling and he's praying for them. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And he begins to pray in light of what he's been teaching. Teaching and intercession go together. When we hear the word of God and we know what God's will is for our life, that motivates us to pray that it will actually happen in us. So we're going to find out a little bit about Paul's life and what he prays for. Because the second time in three chapters, he is praying. Here's the way the, the sermon's going to flow, hopefully. First of all, Paul talks about, we could divide it into four parts. The first part would be his motivation for praying. Secondly, the substance of his prayers. Thirdly, the vast potential of his prayer life, of his prayer, of our prayers. Did you ever think of the vast potential? Exceedingly abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. And the ultimate purpose of his prayer. Those are the four parts that we see in these eight verses. So the first thing is the motivation for prayer. And I want you to look just at a couple verses. Usually when Paul says for this reason, it's usually that we go back a few verses to find out in the context, what is it that you're talking about? For what reason? Let's go back and look at, at verse 8, just in the same chapter. If you have your Bibles, look with me. Paul says, to me, the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to, to bring light to what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities to the heavenly in the heavenly places. This, and here's the key, I think. I think this is the reason he begins to pray. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he uh, carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. That was his eternal purpose, to bring Christ. We've been saying that this is a Christmas, a Christmas epistle because it's reminding us, Paul's reminding us, that in ages past, the Gentiles were without hope until the coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. He came and he died. He was in the line of some Gentiles in the Old Testament, wasn't he? Ruth. Ruth was in the line of Christ. He came not just for Jewish ethnic heritage, he came for all men. Jew and Gentile, we had no hope until the coming, that first Christmas of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 12. In whom we have, in this Jesus Christ who came, that Paul says is God's eternal purpose to bring all men to himself. He says in verse 12, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. We have access and boldness to come to God and to ask, and to pray. And I think that's what Paul is saying. For this reason, 
I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That's interesting too because he's bringing in Jew and Gentile again. Every family, every family that is rightly related to him bears his name. And every family, Jew and Gentile, that's related to him sees him as their father. Those that are in heaven that have gone before us, that are his and those that are living on this earth right now. Isn't it interesting too that Paul, there, he doesn't, the Bible doesn't give us a stature for prayer. It doesn't say you have to stand, though many were standing in the scriptures when they prayed. It doesn't say you have to kneel. It doesn't give you a position, but here Paul specifies kneeling. I bow my knees, it, it seems like what he was doing and recognizing what he was writing about, that Christ, the eternal purpose of God, has come. And when he reflects on this, he stops and he just bows. It speaks of the humility at this particular time when he is pray, praying. Because of this boldness and because of this access, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, every family that's related to him. Do you remember what Jesus said to some of the religious leaders? I know who your father is. He's the devil. Unbelievers don't have God as their father, but Jew and Gentile, everyone on earth and in heaven that have known him, he is their father. He is the one that Paul goes to and he begins to pray for. And Paul, Paul is praying. He's praying for them. He's, he's going to be lifting up them in light of God's will for their lives. For this reason, and the reason is he wants to bless them. He wants to bring them closer to the living God, that they might hear that they might be motivated to pray, that they might be rightly related to him, and know that Jesus is going to hear and answer prayer according to his will. I want you to turn with me just for a moment to John, John's gospel, and I want you to look at John 14. This is the upper room discourse. Jesus is talking to them about the place of prayer and the importance of prayer and that God is going to hear and answer according to his will. Listen as I begin reading with verse 12 out of John 14. Truly he says to them, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I shall do, he shall do also. And greater works than these, that's amazing, isn't it? Greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. And when he goes to the Father, he's sending the Spirit. The Spirit not only to come to this earth, but to live in us. And he goes on to say, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever forever. That is the spirit of truth 
whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is saying, from the word, learn it. Learn what his will is and go to him in prayer. And he will answer your prayers. And so Paul is on his knees praying that his prayers in the will of God would be answered in behalf of these Ephesian Christians. Then the second point is the substance. Now he gets into the substance beginning in verse 16. Verse 16 to 19, Paul gets into the substance. Let's look at these. I'll read them all, and then we'll talk about the four things that are on his heart as he begins to pray on bended knee. He says that he, he bows his knees before the Father, that he would grant you according to the riches of what? His glory. Grant you, to give you. I'm praying that God... And when you think of God's riches, think this way. They are unlimited. There's no limit upon them. There's nothing that he cannot do. There's, no, there's nothing that he cannot provide for us. His riches are without end. They are there. We can call upon him. And Paul says, the first thing that I'm doing is I'm praying that he would grant you the answer to these prayer requests according to his vast riches. And they are indeed vast. And then when you get to the second half of verse 16, let's keep on reading. To be strengthened, I'm, I'm asking him to grant you according to those riches to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, in your spirit, that which was created in the image of God, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, another word for the inner man, through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Wow, that's, that's a long statement, isn't it? There's a lot in there. The first thing that he's doing then, after saying that he is praying that God would grant them according to his riches, the first thing on his heart is this, that they would be strengthened, spiritually strengthened, in the inner man, in their spirit, with power, by the Spirit. Now, now, you might say, why did Paul have to pray that way? Why did he have to pray for the strengthening of the Spirit for them? Because they had the Spirit, didn't they? The Spirit was already indwelling them. Why pray for that? Why, why is that a big deal? The reason it's a big deal is because we and other Christians as well have a part in our spiritual well-being, in our living out the Christian life. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. 
But it takes prayer. It takes individual effort to recognize that that spirit is going to work when I recognize he's there and I recognize my need and I go to God in prayer and every day say, God, would you strengthen me today with power, supernatural power through the spirit in my inner man? It's not enough to just have the intellectual knowledge that the Spirit lives within us. We need to know that we have a part in bringing the Spirit's power to bear on our daily life. We need to be praying, God, we need to be praying for others in this church. God, strengthen this body with your Spirit daily, not just once a year. We need to be praying regularly for the Spirit's strength. Paul recognizes that knowing what I'm telling them is not enough. They need the Spirit working in them, and I need to be praying, and they need to be praying. This is part of the substance of his prayer, and it's, it's the number one lead. Folks, we cannot make it without spiritual power every day of our lives. The Spirit is within us, but if we remain dormant and we don't pray, you know what we're going to experience? Heartache, failure. We need the Spirit's power working daily, and we're a part of the process to ask. What did Jesus say? You ask in my name, which means according to his will. You ask for things in my name, and God will give them to you. He's not going to withhold when you ask according to my will and purpose. Now, let's read, let's read on again. He's asking for this power so that, verse 17, Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. Brings Christ into the picture too, doesn't it? The Spirit's indwelling. We pray for his power so that Christ might also be there and his purpose might be there. We're to be transformed, conformed to the image of the Son of God. And when the Spirit is actively working in us through prayer, he is conforming us to the image of Christ. And the thing on Paul's heart here as he goes on is to talk about being rooted and grounded in love being rooted and grounded in love. There's two Greek words that can be used of dwelling, that are translated dwelling. And both of them, interestingly enough, are used right here in the first three chapters. In chapter 2, verse 19, Paul talks about being an alien or a sojourner or a stranger. That's one of the words for dwelling. You're in this land but you're not really a permanent resident there. You're just, you're just a sojourner. You're just passing through. You don't really own it. You don't have any rights over it. That's one word for dwelling, but that's not this word. This is the other word for dwelling, the more stronger or powerful word, which means the land is yours. You've come in and you've settled it and you own it and you reign over that. This is the word, so that strengthening by the Spirit, so that Christ may dwell, reign 
in your life. He may be at home there. That's what you're asking the Spirit to do so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith that I might become more like him, that he might recognize that my body is his dwelling place, that he owns it, that he reigns over it, that he, that he is going to live there and rule and be my Lord. I have a friend named Bill Ladd, and Ann, doesn't, Ann knows the lads, but she doesn't know what I'm going to say right now because I didn't preach this sermon to her earlier. Bill Ladd just, and, and Kathy have been living here in Colorado Springs for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, most of the time, good part of the time that we've been here, maybe longer. They've just recently moved to Oklahoma, but one of the stories that Bill told me about his father and growing up in the Ladd home in California was this. He said, when I became a teenager and, and I started going out with my friends, my father called me one evening before I left the home and he said, come here, I want to have a talk with you. What's your last name? And he said, Dad, you know what my last name is. It's the same last name that you have. He said, what is it? He said, it's Ladd. He said, you're going out tonight with some friends. Your name is Bill Ladd, and your father's name is Ladd. And I want you to know this son. His, his dad was a Christian. He said, when you go out of this house, I want you to think constantly of your name and who you belong to and who your father is. And I want you to think that everything that you do out there with your friends reflects upon that name and reflects upon me, your dad. And if you don't honor that name in the way you live, you and I are going to have some other talks. You and I are going to be sitting down together. That name is important, and I want you to keep it that way. This is what, what Paul is praying for. He's saying, I'm praying that they would be strengthened every day by the Spirit and His power so that Christ might be at home, he might reign, he might dwell. Because you remember what he's already said? Every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from him. We bear the name of who? Who is our Father? God. Who's our Savior? Christ. What do we call ourselves? Christians. When we do not live and walk as Christ did, we bring dishonor to the name of our Father. That's not good. And we've been given all the power that we need. And then he goes on to say, Paul is praying that we might manifest his love. Look again at these verses. He says, being rooted into verse 17, being rooted and grounded in love. Christ might dwell that this might be seen, rooted and grounded in love, and may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Do you remember how it ends? There's faith and there's hope 
and there's love. And the greatest of these is what? Love. Paul says, if I give my body to be burned, a sacrifice, if I sell all my goods and give them to the poor, if I know, if I can speak all kinds of wonderful things with my lips, he goes on to say all of these things that he could do. And if they are done without love, what are they? Worthless. They are nothing. They are absolutely worthless. And then he talks about in this passage the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of this love. Some theologians have taken this, and I think rightly so, they've compared it to the cross. They've compared it to Christ on the cross. The breadth. Notice the cross, the bar where his arms were nailed to the cross. The breadth, the breadth of this love, they've said, compares to his bringing in all men. His love for all men. The breadth, the breadth. And then the, the length, the length, it is forever and the height and the depth, the depth of that goes down to the lowliest. The bottom of the cross points down. It goes to the lowliest of all men. It reaches down to the bottom. The top goes up to heaven where he takes all that he brings to him in this breadth of love. And he says, I want you to know that love. I want you to know the love of Christ. I want you to be grounded and rooted in love I want them to see this manifold from all in the body of Christ. I want them to see the love of Christ in you. And it can be done, not in our strength. Whose strength? I pray that you be strengthened in the spirit with power in the inner man so that Christ might be at home in you. You who bear his name. This is the way we're to live. And God's given us every thing that we need. All we need to do is what? Ask. And Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name and in my will, I will give it to you. Folks, we can be the most loving church on this planet if we get this right. And we ask, this love will be manifest in us and we'll be filled to all the fullness of God. What's the main thing you learn about Christ? He's loving. He came. I was thinking of this this week. I heard a song about the babe in the manger who is actually the God of heaven. And I was thinking about that. It just started, my, my mind just started thinking about Jesus as a three-year-old. Jesus as a five-year-old. Jesus as a teenager. He's got parents who are telling him what to do. And he's God. And he bore that. 
He listened to them. He's faithful to them. He is a son that never sinned. And he's God. And he did that so that he could go to the cross and on that cross die for us and pay the price for everyone that comes to him, everyone that he brings to himself. Why did he do that? There was nothing loving in me. There was no good reason in you, but he loved us. And Paul is praying that that same love for others, caring for others, other brothers and sisters in Christ, first priority, and the lost in this world taking the gospel so that they might see Christ, they might hear the word of God, and they might come to him and be saved forever. Paul, that's, that's the substance of Paul's prayer. And then we get to the third part, the potential for Paul, Paul's prayer. His prayer has potential because he's asking in the will of God. Look again at verse 20. Now to him, to him that he's praying to, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or we think about asking. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly way above that, up to the ceiling, according to the power that works within us. Where does that power come from? The Spirit. Where is the Spirit? He's within us. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or all that we even think of asking. That's an amazing thing. Do we think of that when we pray? Do we think that we're some... I think oftentimes we pray for little things, things that we want, things that we think are feasible, things that we think eh, might, maybe they'll work out. Do we ask God for big things? Do we understand his riches? Do we understand that he can do exceedingly above and beyond all that we think or ask? Do we pray with that faith in accordance with his will? Boy, we should. We should be praying that way. And so often I think we're on the bottom of this. We're wondering, well, what's going to happen what, what, what will tomorrow bring? What's the next day going to bring? God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And then the final thing is, what's the, what's the overall purpose of this prayer? Our prayer life. What's the overall purpose? We know the substance is that we would be strengthened so that Christ may dwell, that we might we might experience, know his love, and that we might show it to the world and to each other. But what's the overall purpose of this? Look at verse 21. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. What's the ultimate purpose of prayer being answered? of prayer being asked, it's to bring glory to God. It's to glorify Him and His person.
That's what prayer is all about. That's why it has to be in accordance with his will. Prayer is not just about us. It's about the glory of God. When, when the Spirit is working in us, when Christ is dwelling in our hearts through faith, when we are manifesting his love to a lost world, who gets the glory? God does. To him be the glory. To him honor. To him praise. Remember again, all of this is talking about praying in the will of God. This is talking about praying in Jesus' name. That's what it means, to pray in Jesus' name. It's not just to say at the end of your prayer, in Jesus' name I ask that. When you ask in Jesus' name, you are asking for the will of God to be done. Don't, don't pray when you have no word from God and think that because you end it with Jesus' name, it's going to be done. Do you remember Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan? Satan is coming, and, and at one point he takes him up to the temple, the very peak of the temple, and he stands there and he said, I've got an idea, Jesus. Why don't you just throw yourself off? Because you know it's said in the scripture that his angels will bear you up. How did Jesus answer that? Jesus said, you also don't know all of the scriptures. The scriptures say, I will not test the Lord my God. We don't go up to a building, in other words, climb up to the roof, 10 stories up, and jump off and say, God, I have enough faith that you're going to save me on the way down. Don't try that. Don't test the Lord your God that way. We pray according to his will. And when we do, we, we're praying in Jesus' name, and we know that he will hear, and he will answer, and he will be glorified. Let me end this with a quote from John Stott at the end of his chapter on this very thing. He says, the infinite power of God to work beyond our prayers, thoughts, and dreams is the power at work within us. It's the Spirit of God. It is the power of the resurrection, the power which raised Christ from the dead, enthroned him in the heavenlies, and then raised and enthroned us there with him. That is the power which is at work within the Christian and within the church. I don't know about you, but I am absolutely where he is. The power that works within us is the Spirit of God, and he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. So the question is, what are you asking for? What's your prayer life like? What are the things that dominate your prayer list? What are you asking God to do? God is able 
to do far above what we are ever going to imagine. Are we praying? Do we stop in the middle of teaching to bow our knees? I thought about trying to do that today in this sermon. Paul does. He bows his knees before the Father and he begins to pray for spiritual power. We need that. We need that daily. We need to pray that way daily, that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith so that we being rooted and grounded in love, the love of Christ might manifest that to the world. Folks, when we begin to pray that way, we're going to see great things happen. Things that we can't do, that only He can do. And this church will be changed, and we will be changed, and people around us will be changed, and people will come to Christ. It's just hard to imagine what God wants to do, what He can do, and He can do through us because He's already done it in us. We need to pray and pray like this. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your word for the Apostle Paul, for his stopping in the midst of his teaching to pray that the Ephesians would experience the power of God, the power of the Spirit, and the love of Christ, and to know that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly. We pray that you would teach us those things and that you would demonstrate in our midst what you can do and will do when we get serious and get on our knees. And we pray these things, Father, so that you might be glorified, that your Son might be lifted up, that we might know his love, its breadth, its, its length, its height, its depth, and we might live it out. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.